call them back later. I'm like, hey, you know, they've offered me the job. I think I want to take it. And they're just like scrambling. And all of a sudden, they miraculously can give me a $40,000 raise like overnight that I'd been begging for for months. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, where today we're going to be talking about taking new job opportunities and how you can find job opportunities, the conversations you should be having, and real experience from Justin, who's increased his total compensation by hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And speaking of Justin, what's going on, man? Hey, Cody. The, uh, the big things from this past weekend was... We went down to San Antonio for the couple nights, and I got to go check out an air show at the Air Force Base down there. Got some friends who are still in the Air Force and kind of let me see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for the prep day, kind of the, the day where they just kind of walk through everything and do some of the demo flies before the whole big crowds come on Saturday. So I got to do that on Friday. And then that night, did a big country concert down in San Antonio. Came back up to Austin and did a friend's birthday yesterday, which was just all day out on the boats on the lake. And then today, I'm flying to London to start my 14-day flying around the world extravaganza. How about you, Cody? <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about that, Justin, for the listeners who don't know the exciting plans you have. Yeah, so I've had this trip to Saudi Arabia planned for quite a while, um, and that's going out of Houston, flying to Dubai and then to Saudi. But then recently, I kind of had an opportunity to come up and ended up deciding to take a new job at a different company. And as part of that, I got really excited when they were telling me about this leadership kind of offsite training thing that they were doing in London. And I just made it like really clear, like, hey, if we can make this work, like I want to go. And it was super quick. Like I, there's still so much stuff that's technically not done in the background, but they're allowing me to come to London. And so I'm flying to London, which is super awesome. The only negative part is I couldn't move my flights around for the Saudi part. So I fly to London, fly back to Houston, never leave the airport wait a couple hours, get back on the plane, and then fly to Dubai to go to Saudi Arabia. So there's just like 18, 19 hours worth of wasted flight time there. But, you know, it's part of it. It's, that's kind of first world problems. I can't complain too much about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that's going to be an awesome experience, man. I'm definitely jealous I haven't made it over to that side of the world. I've actually never been to London either. So there's two places on my list of places to go. For me, this past weekend, we celebrated two friends' birthdays, actually. My friends Casey and my friends Dowd. Went to this big Italian restaurant. There was like 20 of us, honestly, kind of an obnoxious sized party. And we were definitely a bit too loud. Went out to a bar after that. But on the productive front, we have been working a ton on that Airbnb that I've been mentioning week after week after week. We are so, so close. The hot tub is now installed. We put up a privacy fence. We did a bunch of decorating inside yesterday. We're finishing hanging the curtains. A few little things like nightstands and some area rugs and we got to integrate the smart lock with like the owner res system that we're, you know, building this all out on and making sure the website's all good to go. But I can see the finish line. It is very, very close. So by next week, like the absolute last date we want this thing launched is May 1st, because then Lauren and I fly to Portugal on May 2nd and we're in Europe for the entire month. So we're, that's kind of the really hard <laughs> stuff. And we're trying to get everything done and buttoned up. I think we're going to do it. Fingers crossed. Hopefully you five show listeners can also cross your fingers for us to get this thing up and running. Yeah, I mean, it's still impressive how fast it's gone. I mean, we've been living in this house for six months and we want to get ours done. But our big pole in the tent, whatever you want to call it, is the city of Austin. Like we just the, the paperwork here has been ridiculous. Once we get past the city of Austin, I think the house is good to go. 
I'm sure the city of Austin will come through eventually for you, Justin, and then you can do what our good friends James and Emily are doing, geohacking, where they're making money while they travel by renting out their own primary residence. But before we get into all this stuff and talk about your new job and just like the topics we want to discuss today, let's remind the listeners again about the ultimate FI spreadsheet that you use, Justin, that you're giving them for free. Yeah, Cody, I'm excited to make this available to all the listeners. It's the spreadsheet that I use personally from the time I started in 2015 when I had 38K to track. And now I've got this spreadsheet that shows everything I've spent all the way up to today. We're busted over that million mark. And so it's a tool that I found kind of stood the test of time. It's got all the categories in there for you. And I think it's just a really simple tool that's worked really well for me. And I hope it works well for the listeners. All right, Justin, I can't let you get away with not hyping yourself up enough because I've seen this spreadsheet and it is just all encompassing. It tracks all of your expenses. It tracks your net worth month to month. It tracks your income. It has kind of a ledger of all of your different accounts, whether that's bank accounts, 401ks, IRAs, anywhere where your money is sitting, Justin has a place for it. And so basically what Justin did was he took his spreadsheet that he uses himself. He made a template version for all of you guys to use. And he went ahead and recorded a video to show you exactly how he uses it month to month to track his net worth, income, and expenses. You can grab all of that for free at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So Justin, earlier you had a quick one-liner that you decided to move companies. And you know, you've jumped around, you're a super calculated guy. And you had a really nice, cushy job. We just covered that in How Far We've Come a few episodes back about this amazing job and the benefits and, and you're making multiple six figures and all that. And now you go and take this new job. So I'd love to hear just like how that came about, how you found this opportunity and how you decided that this was something you should go for. Yeah, I mean, well, how I found the opportunity is actually the same way I found my first job, which was just somebody reaching out to LinkedIn. So, you know, I think it's important if you are in that W-2 space to just always make intentional connections on LinkedIn, keep things up to date. There's also different settings you can have on there where you can let people know if you're interested in them reaching out and it, it just is going to make you more likely to get targeted by recruiters. Real quick, do you know what setting that is? Yes, yeah, so on LinkedIn, it's called open to work and you basically just go to your profile and kind of under your picture, there'll be a little button that says open to. And there's a few different things you can select and you can select open to work and then there's all kinds of settings in there. You can say, the job titles that you're open to, if you want to work remote, hybrid, if you want to work in person, locations, if it needs to be location specific. You can also state like, hey, I'm just kind of casually browsing or you can say like, no, like I'm, you know, looking for a job right now. And then you can go in there and even select, do you want to be open so that only people who are recruiters are kind of can reach out and see that or can anyone see that? And it'll actually like add this open to work thing to your frame. And so what I would say about that is, if you've got a job that you don't want to kind of just sit there and like blatantly advertise how you're looking for another job, then that's where you just turn that recruiters only thing on. And that way it's not blatantly obvious to everyone that you're looking for a job. But if, cause if you do the all LinkedIn members, that's more of a, like, I mean, it's literally putting something on your profile image. It's just very blatant to everyone. Hey, this person is looking for a job. So if you got a job you like, but you just want to kind of casually keep an ear out for new opportunities, I would recommend just doing the recruiter only version. I can imagine that you probably get a lot of spam messages because you have that on. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but how do you filter through the noise and actually find decent opportunities? I mean, I think everyone's different on what they're open to. And I mean, you do get some spam. I think it's most people are pretty good at telling the difference between absolute spam and maybe a company reaching out about a position that doesn't quite meet your criteria. You know, two totally different things. 
Um, if it's just absolute, absolute spam where I could tell the person isn't, didn't really personalize it for me, then I'm just not even going to consider it. If it is something where they're reaching directly out to me, but it's probably a company that isn't going to be able to pay enough or whatever, generally that's kind of where I start to filter things out. I'm like, hey, before we waste each other's time, can you share with me what the pay band is for this position? And if it's, you know, way off, if it's like 50% off, whatever, if it's, if it's way off, then it's like easy. Okay. Don't even need to talk to them. It's like, Hey, appreciate it. But this just isn't going to work for either of us kind of thing. Um, and then from there, it's kind of, you know, what all are you open to? Like for me, it's kind of important to have a little bit of liquidity as far as equity goes. Like most of the jobs I'm looking at are going to have restricted stock units. And for those companies that are still in kind of startup mode, you know, series A, B, C, whatever, they're not publicly traded, then you get stock options, but like those are stock options and not actual like stock grants where, you know, you have the ability to buy the stock at a discounted price and maybe someday it becomes really worth something, but you can't just go and sell it on the, a normal open market and it's not, they're just handing you equity in the company without you needing to put your own capital in. So for me, I wasn't interested in non-publicly traded companies. So that was also kind of a quick way that I just filtered through things. Sometimes I would listen just to get an idea of what the market was paying, what's out there. I mean, it's even a good place to get leverage for your current job, right? Like if you start to get all these offers for way more than you're making or a decent amount more than you're making, but it's not the type of company you want to work for, then maybe that can give you that confidence to go and start negotiating at your current company. How often are you actually taking conversations, whether that's like typing someone back on LinkedIn or picking up the phone or a Zoom call? Are you dedicating like, I'm going to talk to one job opportunity per week? Is it, you know, a certain number of hours you set aside or just how do you manage all that? Because I can imagine that, you know, there's a million jobs out there that people might be interested in. If you have that open to hire thing on, you could have 10 phone calls every single week. That might not be a good fit. So how do you kind of pick the ones that are going to make it worth your while? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, it's not super calculated. Like I set a, a quota, a certain number, a certain amount of time. You know, once I've just based on my own like personal filters, like, okay, pay band, the type of technology that it is, if it's publicly traded or not, it actually turns out not to be just that many. And it kind of comes in waves because most of these companies, I think, realize that if someone's going to leave, they're generally going to leave at the start of a fiscal year because at the most companies, fourth quarter of your fiscal year, is your biggest quarter. It's the one that's going to have the most transactions, the largest transactions, like the most amount of money is happening in that fourth quarter. So everyone's going to want to get through that Q4, get their bonus payouts before they're going to move to their next job. Like it just doesn't make sense to leave in like December. A lot of fiscal years end in that kind of January, February timeframe. And so a lot of moving happens in March and April. So you get more hits and in kind of waves throughout the year as well. It's a little seasonal. So still talking about this new job opportunity, I can imagine you did a lot of negotiating because, you know, we've been friends for years now, Justin. I know you don't just take the first offer that kind of comes your way. You're always negotiating for whether it's better pay or different position, more stock, more. How do you facilitate those conversations? Like, do you just come straight out of the gate? You have that first Zoom call and you're like, listen, you know, these pay bands aren't high enough. I want X, Y and Z. Or do you kind of get your foot in the door, have a few conversations, start to hint that you're going to negotiate or just how does that work on a tactical level for you? Yeah, I'd say it's a, a little bit of a tightrope, a little bit of a blend of those two things. So I'm not going to come in and just completely like squash a conversation based on the pay band not being exactly where I want it to be. But I want to ask to see, 
the general range because if the range is not in the right area like it's not even close then i don't want to like waste my time with that but if it's close even if it's less money then i want to start digging in and then there's going to be some opportunities as you get deeper in and you show your value for some negotiations that maybe aren't able to happen at the beginning because they don't know how good of a candidate you are just yet at the beginning so as you get deeper in you know that's when you can do more of your kind of equity negotiations and things like that because now all of a sudden you're not just like a candidate you're somebody they really want to hire and it's also just really important to me like pull out the spreadsheet and factor in everything on paper like this job doesn't really make a lot of sense to some people if they just looked at it face value like yes it is it's a good it's a title increase but if you look at what we call on target earnings which we can talk about in just a second and even things like a 401k match like this company my own target earnings is less there is no 401k match my last company matched nine thousand dollars a year those two things alone a lot of people would just give up on this opportunity and wouldn't really follow it through but when you dig deeper into the metrics that lead into how you're going to get paid out in these type of jobs that have variable compensation that's what like where that on target earnings comes in the variable piece is really important and knowing data about that company and data about the team that you're going to work for. So really pushing the recruiter and the hiring managers to just arm you with a lot of data and being super transparent will help you make that decision. Before we touch on on-target earnings, because I'm not exactly sure what that is. I've never been in a job that had on-target earnings. When these recruiters are reaching out to you and you know they're signing you on for 200 plus thousand dollars, like it's a ton of money. They have to really trust that you're the right person. Do you have anything like resume wise or you know, this is my portfolio of things that I've done, or how do you present yourself as like the guy? How do you make it known that you are the right person? You're the perfect person for this job based on your past experience? Yeah. I mean, I think if I was, if I had been like unhappy with my job and like I need a job, I probably would have put a lot more effort into that. Like making sure my resume was special. I had some kind of nice cover letter, but really my resume is the same resume I've used since I got out of the air force from a structure standpoint. I mean, I just kind of updated a little bit. And resumes really just get you that initial phone call. It's about how you kind of sell yourself on the phone is what's going to make the difference. The company that I worked for and the job title that I had for most companies is enough to get me a phone call. And then from the phone call, you know, that's really where things take over. Like my resume isn't doing a ton. It's being confident, talking through it, being knowledgeable. Like they're going to tell pretty quick if you've been in the the right kind of situations like with customers if you've handled the right kind of deals like how you perform like you know people can kind of almost trick you with a resume but once you get to really talking to them and and getting into the nitty-gritty of different situations they've been in i think it becomes pretty apparent but uh, it's also a super competitive market i mean the industry that i'm in which is called customer success is relatively new in the terms of like you know salespeople have been around forever you know marketing's been around forever CSMs is kind of this last 10 to 15 year phenomenon where you have software as a service, like these more subscription based things, not just software, but everything is a subscription these days. I mean, your clothing can be a subscription, like everything's a subscription. And so companies have realized that, yeah, like it, it makes a lot to invest in people who can make these new sales, like almost a cold call sale. But if you look at a company and you look at where their revenue is coming from, so much more of their revenue is coming from reoccurring revenue, annual reoccurring revenue. You'll hear ARR if you're looking up things on the internet about like the, the way these companies are making money. And so you, you take something like Netflix, like I'm sure they sign on a ton of people every month, 
But what really matters is that they're not losing their current customer base. If they start losing people from their current customer base, that's when you're going to see, you know, the stock react in a really negative way. So, you know, when you think about things like the news release that came out about password sharing and them cracking down on that, that immediately makes an investor think, uh oh, they're going to lose customers because now they're not, they're not going to want to pay twice like them and they're, you know, now they're getting to like maybe split this fee in half by splitting it with their, their mom or whatever. And now they're going to have to both pay for it. So they both just decide they don't want it. And so they lose customer base. And once you start dropping that ARR, that's, that's really a sign for a company on like how well they're performing. And so customer success is all about after that initial sale, you come in and manage the relationship with that customer and make sure that they see the value that they're getting from the product, that they really enjoy the product and that they actually get upsold. So like they've, they've got the initial buy and now they're, they're starting to buy the next tier of the product. So it's really growing the customers that have already decided to invest in your product versus going out and selling to a net new customer. So since you're in customer success, not customer acquisition, how does it work with the on-target earnings thing? And how does that tie into your compensation? Because you said that was a huge factor in why you did take this new job. Yeah, so every company is going to do it a little different. But just in, I'd say in in general terms, like on-target earnings means that you take your base salary plus this variable part of your salary. And when you look at that variable part of your salary, you're going to have quotas, you're going to have targets. And if you hit those targets, like that's, this is how much it'll pay out. So you take that variable piece, if you hit those targets in your base, put those together, and that's what people will call OTE or on-target earnings. Now, how that variable piece is calculated and what it's capped at is what's really important. So like my current company, your on-target earnings are, you can feel pretty confident you're going to hit it, but you're probably not going to overachieve it. Just the way it's structured, it's set up really hard to do anything more than just hit it. They normally take care of people and make sure that they give you like quota relief if a deal was like it wasn't your had nothing to do with you the reason it didn't renew and so they try to keep you what we'd call it keep you whole like keep you at 100 but it's really hard to overachieve the new company sets their quotas up in a much more attainable way in a much more way that's like completely up to your control and not to get into like the specific metrics but it's just it's something that is a you can like really overachieve on like you can go out there and do the work and get more than the quota an individual contributor can get up to three times their variable compensation if they perform well enough and a manager can get up to four times their variable compensation and then if you're a like a manager of managers like a senior manager you can get up to five times your variable compensation so if you just look at on target earnings on paper for for two companies one might look like less but once you see the way they're calculated and you start getting real data, like, okay, how did this team perform the last four quarters and what are you forecasting for the next quarter? And then pop that in, just do the math and say, like, okay, what would I've actually made? Like, now what's my own target earnings, but what would I've actually made? Compare that to the company you're at because now you, because you know all the data from your current company. And then you, I mean, you know, you're taking a gamble, but you're taking an educated gamble. When you're doing this stuff and you're doing all the calculations and you're talking to these other companies, do you keep your own company in the loop? Like, do they know that you're doing this? I know before you mentioned you can use new offers as leverage to be like, hey, you know, this company over here is paying me 20 grand more than you're paying me right now. Like, can you match it and I'll stay here? Or I guess, how does the communication line work with your current boss? Yeah, so I would say that my personal philosophy is until you think that there's actually a really high likelihood that you're going to take this new opportunity to just keep that to yourself. Like it doesn't do you any good to just be 
to let them know like, oh yeah, I'm chatting with this other company and I don't know, like, I'm not sure if I'm even interested. Like that just makes it seem like you're a little wishy-washy and you, who knows how long you're going to be there. And like, do they really want to invest in you? Do they want to like make you a manager, yada, yada. If you actually have an offer, we're like, okay, I think I'm probably going to take this. Now at that point, if you still really enjoy the work you're doing and the company that you're at, and maybe all you need to stay is just a little bit more money then now like that's a point where you you can start to have that conversation and you can just be completely transparent about like how much more money you're going to need to stay you've got an offer for this other company you've let them know what it would take to keep you and it's a win-win for you like if they say no okay well this is an offer i was happy about anyway if they say yes then now you've got you know more money at your current job if that's what you want and i would say if you're a good employee and you'll probably know if you're a good employee based on how they act when you when you go in there and, and tell them you got another offer there's an extremely high likelihood that they're going to offer you more money than they've told you recently that like was available to you, like from a promotion or a raise standpoint. They might have told you like, hey, this is the best we can do during a, a promotion cycle or a raise cycle. But when push comes to shove and if they need to keep you, there's normally more money to be found. Now, are most of these companies inbound? Like, is it literally just having the open for hire thing checked off on LinkedIn that you're having a ton of people message you or do you go about and you pick these 10 companies that you maybe want to work at and you start messaging recruiters and you start messaging headhunters that represent those companies and you kind of get your foot in the door and you initiate the conversation with them. So all these have been inbound. All these have been, they're reaching out to me. And again, I think this goes back to the standpoint of I wasn't unhappy at the job like that I'm leaving. I wasn't like I need a job tomorrow kind of thing. I wasn't really looking to leave. I just think that it's in your best interest to know what is out there. And honestly, I've had that conversation so many times with recruiters. They're like, well, you sound really happy at your current place and they're paying you well. Like, why did you take this phone call? And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I want more information? Like it isn't, I'm not committing to anything. I'm just learning. And um, so I, I think it's always good to just, just hear people out. I think just being on the other side of this, it's important because I wasn't in corporate America long enough where I had people like reaching out to me on LinkedIn and I had worked at this prestigious company and I had this job title it sounds like that was kind of the case for you. Like they saw Justin Taylor's been in this role for this long at this company. Like he's going to be a great fit for this job. For me, it was a lot of the brute force. Like there was this kid in finance society. He probably doesn't even know I talk about him. His name is Alex Brown. And every single day, our homework was to just reach out to three people on LinkedIn in companies that we wanted to intern for. Every single day, I reached out to three different people on LinkedIn. Most people didn't reply. It was literally like a 10% reply rate. But I got fantastic opportunities. I got awesome internships. I had a really good job coming out of college because I was like making the outbound lead acquisition. I was I was starting those conversations. So for those who are in my position, maybe you don't have the prestigious job title or you're not at a great company right now that you could you know attract recruiters from. You could always generate those outbound leads yourself. Like you could literally take the same homework that I did every single day at this finance society thing in college and just hit up a maybe it's not three, maybe it's one person you reach out to every single day on LinkedIn or through some other medium, someone who's in a role that you want to be in, someone who's in a company that you want to work at. And you'd be really surprised how fruitful the conversations that actually happen can be. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, things were a lot different, obviously, when I was looking for my, my like first corporate job, or if I was unhappy, things would be a lot different. So, you know, I feel very fortunate that some of these leads have fallen in my lap, but it's just kind of the point I'm at in my journey. Like I was just wasn't looking to leave. And so it just kind of happened. So I wasn't being the most proactive, but I didn't need to be. So that's kind of just where I was. Now, I know we've talked about this a bit before, but you know, before this current job switch, the one we're talking about right now, you made an internal move at your company and you negotiated a raise. You had just a better suited role for you. 
How do you go about facilitating those types of conversations? Like, how do you how do you tell the boss that, you know what, I don't think I'm caught up for this role anymore. I'm st- I still want to work for the company. I want to go over here and I want to pay raise. <laughs> how does that work out? Yeah, that, that one was really interesting. And I mean, there are some similarities because like I mentioned with this current role, if I look at just or if I look at the role that I'm going to now, if you just compare like on target earnings, it looks like I'm taking a pay cut. And so I am taking a calculated risk on myself that I believe that I can make those variables, like I can hit way above those targets and and I can make those variables work in my favor and I can get those multiples and I can make up for it because I think my performance will be well enough. So that's like taking a bet on myself. This same thing happened when I moved internally. I had let it be known that I was a little unhappy with what my pay was because I had through conversations and this is a whole other larger conversation about kind of pay transparency, but you know, everyone knew I was really into personal finance and would just get to chat and, and I end up finding out what my coworkers are making. And I realized that I'm being underpaid by a decent bit. And so I'm like, well, I know that this past year I literally brought in 75% of our renewal revenue, you know, which when you got a team of eight and one person brought in 75%, it's like, I don't feel like I should be being underpaid. You know, that's a, that's a hefty portion of the weight that I was carrying. And so I just let it be known, like, you know, I really want to get up to the same, at least to the same level as everyone else, even though, like, really, I feel like I should be making more because of my performance. And I'd also just mention, like, you know, I might look for be interested in a change in general because of one of the salespeople that I was kind of attached to, we just weren't having the best relationship. <laughs> and so my boss had mentioned, like, yeah, there's this other team that, that might get stood up and I can kind of keep you in the loop. And a couple months go down the road and um, this other team is getting stood up. And what it is, is like the current team I'm on, we're handling like these fairly large customers. I mean, you can think about like uh, like Voya Financial or, or Travelers Insurance, like, you know, these, these large Fortune 100 type companies. And this would be going from that to this other group that's handling much smaller customers. Now, a lot of people would look at that and they'd say, well, why would you take like this? It's got so much more visibility. They're larger accounts. Like you're, you're way more strategic. Like it, it seems like it's going to be better for like your reputation and your kind of career building and go to this team that's smaller. It's doing smaller accounts that maybe aren't seen as important to the business, but that's where you just can't take opportunities at face value and stop there. You really got to dig in. And what I saw was, okay, first of all, an internal move like into this there's going to be a whole negotiation cycle. This is not going to be, actually, they asked me, they said, do you want us to just pull you over or do you want us to like open up this job wreck and you have to apply for it? And I said, I want to apply for it because I knew if I did that, then I would get an opportunity to actually negotiate a salary, like work through the whole process because I knew they were going to hire, like I, I knew they weren't going to not hire me, you know, so why have them just suck me over at my current pay? So that's like step one. And so I was like, no, I want to go through the full process, the full HR process. And then from there, also looking at it, I knew our company was starting to focus a lot more on these, these new products that we were coming out with, which are kind of targeted more for doing more sales at smaller amounts versus fewer sales at large amounts. So I believe strategically for the company that these type of accounts were kind of the future. I also knew that we were going to have younger CSMs on that team. And so it was naturally going to give me an opportunity to showcase my skills as like a mentor and being that first level of kind of defense for these for these younger CSMs and which is just a natural progression to becoming the manager of the team because I knew my boss there was starting up this team but it was going to grow really fast and there was going to be multiple other teams he was going to have to grow 
And so like I could just see the writing on the wall. Like there's going to be growth opportunity here. If I stay where I'm at, like I just don't see it. I applied, I ended up getting, you know, offers. And I think my I think my manager who told me this team might be getting stood up thought that it was kind of like a pacifier, like, oh yeah, he's kind of interested in it. Here's this thing, you can go learn about it. Didn't think I would actually maybe take it. And then I was, you know, calling back the next day, or you know, it wasn't like the next day, but I call him back later. I'm like, hey, you know, they've offered me the job. I think I want to take it. And they're just like scrambling. And all of a sudden, they miraculously can give me a $40,000 raise like overnight <laughs> that I'd been begging for for months. Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's convenient. And um, so I was like, no, you know what? Like I've already made up my mind on a lot of things that went above and beyond just salary. And so just because you can make, you know, match salary, like I'm going to go over here again, bet on myself. I think that this new team, even though like to some people, they thought that was crazy because they're like, no one's going to care about these accounts. Like you're not going to get all the spotlighting from leadership and, you know, you're not going to be like rubbing shoulders with these people. And I'm like, why do I care about that? Like <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't help me make more money. It doesn't help me progress my career just because I'm getting attention from leadership. Like I don't, that's not, you know, it's not what I'm here for. And uh, so again, I just, I think it's just another case of kind of going out on a limb, taking a bet on yourself. And it was, Definitely scary, but it 100% worked out to be the best decision I made at that company was to, to swap teams. All right, Justin, before we close the curtain here, I want to get one last little good piece of advice out of you because because for those listening who haven't been following along with the five show or Justin's journey, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've increased your compensation by multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars since that first job in the Air Force. So if anyone wants to take advice from someone who's done it and you've done it in a pretty short amount of time, I mean... 10 years to increase your compensation by that much is absolutely crazy to most people. Do you have any final tips? Do you have any do's and don'ts for those who are looking to maybe move internally? Maybe they want to move jobs, just anything you can give them. Yeah, I think there's a few things, um, just real quick kind of high level things. One is think about the career that you're in, like the, the skill set that you have that you like to do. And then think about, is there a different industry that you could do it for? Like if you're in marketing, okay, maybe you're doing that for like a, just a traditional product or like an insurance company, whatever you want to call it. And then look, is there like a tech company that you could go work for? Like a company that's making a lot more revenue because even if it's the same skill set, but you're just doing it for the right industry, it could really change like what your kind of pay bands are and what, and what you could get paid to do, even though it's the same skill set, it's the same thing. You're just doing it for the industry it's a little hotter right now. And that, you know, would be that kind of, you know, more your enterprise software or something like that. The other thing is research. Like when you're looking at opportunities, whether it be a recruiter on LinkedIn, whether it be, you know, understanding what people around you are making, whether it be understanding other opportunities in the company, um, understanding what your value is in the market. Just don't take things at that like initial face value. Don't, it's like, oh, well, I'm moving to a less prestigious job. Oh, well, this OT is lower. That might be true. And it definitely should be a point of caution, but it shouldn't be like that's where you stop because you got to dig into that next layer. And then always like setting expectations with your management. I mean, you don't need to be, you know, ridiculous about it and threatening or whatever, but you just need to let it be known like, hey, my expectation is that in a year that I want to become a manager. Let me know what I need to do to become a manager. What is it that you're seeing that I'm not doing? What? that's holding me back from being a manager. If that's what, you, if you want to go into management, if you're looking for a pay increase, if you're looking to go up, you know, like in our companies, we've had these, you know, they're called like professional levels. So maybe you don't want to be a manager, 
but you just want to be a higher classified individual contributor. You want to go up to that more of like what they'd call a principle. You know, what is it that you need to see from me to get there? Just really pushing your manager to be transparent and to give you more of a roadmap on how to get to where you want to go. Awesome. All right, Five Show listeners, so your homework is to do some research. If you're Even if you're happy in your current job, I think it does not hurt to have a conversation, do some research, see if there's other opportunities available in other industries where you might be getting paid a lot more for the same skills, the same things that you're doing today. And again, all notes and links for this one are available at thefiveshow.com slash opportunities. That's thefiveshow.com slash opportunities. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefiveshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.